Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you think of wine country, what comes to mind? Lush green hills with rows of vines? Maybe temperate weather with a bit of moisture in the air? You might not readily think of dry, dusty Arizona with its extreme temperatures and finicky rain patterns. But our state boasts some of the most exciting new wineries. And that's not just my opinion. Welcome to Valley 101, an Arizona Republic and AZ Central podcast about Metro Phoenix and beyond. I'm producer Amanda Luberto, and today I'm popping the cork and pouring you a glass of Arizona's finest wines. In podcast form, of course. I'll share what Arizona vineyards have to offer, where you can find them, and what it takes to win best wine in the state. I need to start by giving a precursor. In addition to working at the Republic, I'm the manager of a wine bar in downtown Phoenix. I've been there for a few years, and I've worked closely with a few local wineries. The vineyard that is featured in today's episode is not currently sold at our shop. And I had actually never even heard of them before answering an email from Republic reporter Richard Ruelas. Richard is an investigative reporter here, and he mostly covers politics, but he's also our newsroom's go-to wine guy. Well, they asked us to sort of take over the logistics of the competition, and that was much easier years ago when there was only a handful of wineries and, you know, maybe 50 or 60 entries, it has now gotten to a point where the logistics of it are incredibly complex. Richard is referring to the logistics of the annual AZ Central Arizona Wine Competition. The Arizona Wine Growers Association, or the AWGA, has been putting on the competition for years, essentially giving out awards to themselves, as Richard described it similar to how the San Francisco Chronicle and other newspapers across the country have wine competitions, the AWGA thought the Arizona Republic might be the best neutral party to run the wine competition moving forward. And I asked my bosses and they said, sure. And when Richard emailed me and asked if I could use my wine skills to help pour at the Arizona wine competition, I also said, sure. At the 2022 contest, there were 20 judges. Each table got a few different types of wine. As an example, let's say table one tasted Grenache, sparkling, and rosés. Then the table picks their two favorite bottles to go on to the next round. This results in 10 bottles that are then tried by all 20 judges. They put a lot of trust in their peers' palates so that the 20 judges don't spend all day trying all the wines that were submitted. After all, this year, there were over 200 bottles of wines in the contest. That is a lot of wine. But who is judging these wines? 
these people know their stuff? And do any of them have skin in the game? I'm always on the hunt for judges. And some of them are judges that I know are very familiar with Arizona wines, but I've also had some judges come in who didn't know anything about Arizona wines and might have been even wine skeptics for the for the wine that's produced in the state. So it's always fun to have a couple of those in. But it's a lot of restaurant owners, chefs, sommeliers from, say, the Phoenician, uh, some of the higher-end resorts, people who own wine shops, distributors who are involved in sort of getting the wines out to market and, and tasting through a lot. We look for a lot of different uh, levels of expertise in picking out the judges. Since these are all people who work closely within the wine industry in the state, anonymity is extremely important. Let's take my fictional Table 1 example from before. Say Grenache was labeled as wine number one, and 10 different bottles of Grenache were submitted. Each judge at Table 1 would get a glass of Grenache labeled 1.1, then 1.2, then 1.3, and so on and so forth. This is designed so that judges don't know which winery their glass is from, and so that any preconceived notions about the winery don't reflect in their judging. Okay, so this might seem like a fun little Arizona thing, but is it legit? Is Arizona wine even good? National freelance wine writer Shana Clark says so. I'm really very impressed with what Arizona is doing. Shana's travel and wine writing has been featured in Wine Enthusiast, CNN, and NPR, among many others. And Arizona wine has been on her radar for a few years. Now, as anyone from the Valley knows, we are often being compared to our long coastal sister to the West, California. Housing markets, gas prices, and politics, and now in wine. And California is what most people think of when they think of wine in the United States. Napa and Sonoma Valley are two of the most established regions in the U.S. California also has places like Paso Robles and Santa Barbara in the Central Coast area. Outside of California, the Willamette Valley in Oregon and Columbia Valley in Washington are also well-known regions. That being said, there's a lot of great things happening in almost every state at this point. Being from New York, I absolutely adore what's happening up in New York in the Finger Lakes. I think that there's some beautiful Rieslings and other varieties happening there. I'll try to explain some wine lingo as we go along, too. Varieties is the type of grape. For example, Chardonnay, Cabernet, and Rieslings are all varieties. Shana said that while places like California are front of mind in the United States, Wine people are certainly interested in what else is out there on a national level. I do think that there's a big curiosity. I think that people have this romanticism about wine travel, wine tourism, and knowing that there are things that could be happening closer to home, I think makes it exciting for people. I think wineries themselves, they start to understand the tourism opportunities that come about when they're creating a wine region, when you're getting a community of people together. And also from there, it kind of helps just develop other economies within where they're staying. It could be more, you know, more hotels, more restaurants, other things that go along with these wineries and like this experience. In Arizona, we have three main wine regions, Wilcox and Sonoida in southeastern Arizona and the Verde Valley in north central Arizona. 
Verde Valley is just south of Sedona and has towns like Cottonwood, Jerome, Cornville, and Clarkdale that you might recognize on a bottle of local wine. The Verde Valley also just received its status as an AVA back in November 2021. AVA stands for American Viticultural Area and means that it's now a federally recognized grape growing region. Shana says that wine lovers across the country are getting excited about new wine regions. I think that, you know, some people think that, oh, this is cute, they make wine there, that's kind of adorable. Some people think that, you know, this is a great getaway. This is a great little opportunity for us to, you know, take a long weekend and go somewhere and we don't have to, to fly to Italy. You know, we have really interesting things kind of happening in our backyard. And our own backyard has been described as a hidden gem by many wine publications. Growing wine in the desert has certainly piqued people's interest. But locals will know that due to high altitudes, there are a lot of very luscious places around the state. Not everything looks like the dry, dusty valley. It is more than just the shock value of growing grapes in a hot state, though. Shana noted that Arizona wineries are able to grow a lot of what is called Old World varieties. Old World just refers to Europe, North Africa, and the Middle East. Honestly, Arizona has been one of the most surprising, one of the most exciting U.S. regions that I've tasted in a very long time. One thing that I've noticed winemakers are doing really well is they're not so worried about planting Cabernet and Chardonnay and grapes that I think a lot of people are really familiar with and grapes that are super popular. They've been doing a lot of work into finding out what works the best in their terroir. All right, wine vocab for you, terroir. This one is a little harder to explain. The terroir is everything that makes a wine taste the way it does. It's the air, it's the soil, the altitude, the water. It's essentially the complete natural environment in which the grape is grown. All right, back to Shana. So you're seeing a lot of different Spanish varieties. There's so much with Tempranillo, Graciano, Garnacha, Italian, especially some Italian whites like Malvasia is almost become a flagship wine for the region, Vermentinos. And you'll still see tons of classic French grapes. You'll see Syrah, you'll see Roussan. So they've done a really excellent job of, of figuring out what works best for their areas and for their terroir. And, you know, and not necessarily, I would say, pandering towards whatever is the most popular and what they think is going to necessarily sell or get the most brand recognition right away. Arizona's high altitudes, high UV exposure, drastic difference in temperature between night and day, and high levels of pH in the soil contribute to its terroir that makes nuanced grapes grow here. We're going to take a quick break. Hello, producer Kaylee Monahan here. We're just taking a short break to let you know about our free mobile app. Whether it's stories like this one, politics, or breaking news, keep up to date with the AZ Central app available in the App Store and Google Play. When I asked Shana how she got into wine writing, she said it started with a good bottle and a good story. And Richard said the same. I stumbled upon Arizona wine by accident. Uh, My wife and I were driving up, actually trying to find a brewery in the Cottonwood area. And we turned down Cornville Road, I think by mistake, and stumbled upon Page Springs Cellars. 
and stopped in, said, okay, we'll try some wine and enjoyed it, liked it. And as a reporter, I'm always hunting for stories. On a back shelf, there was a bottle of wine for sale for $69.69. And a woman walked in and said, I need to have that bottle. It was the last one they had. I got the sense like, no, she hasn't tried the wine, but her son needed the wine. And I asked why. Well, it was Caduceus Sellers, and her son was a fan of the band Tool. And Maynard James Keenan, the singer of Tool, had made that wine. And so it just instantly became a collector's item. And I thought, well, there's a story to be had there. So I did a profile of Maynard James Keenan, not the artist, but the winemaker. Um, and that began my journey to do uh, stories on Arizona wine. One of those good stories came out of the Arizona Wine Competition this year. The grand prize winner, the recipient of the Governor's Cup, the winery with the bragging rights to say that they won best wine in the state for 2022 is a brand new winery. That's right. Cove Mesa, the newest kids on the block, bottled their first wines in 2021 and just a few months later were crowned best in show. And after spending time up north at their winery, it started to make more sense on how they pulled that off. Emil Mullen and his wife Cindy met on a fateful, blustery night over a bottle of wine, so it makes sense that now, years later, the two have opened a winery together. In June 2020, as a way to rebel against the COVID-19 lockdown, Emil said, they decided to start Cove Mesa. I was really becoming unhappy and almost like claustrophobic, you know. And uh, a number of things came to pass that caused us to start it when we did. Part of it was just wanting to break out of the lockdown. Part of it was a winemaker whose wine I had really liked parted ways with uh, his winery and was available. And partly we had a friend who wanted to be a partner with us uh, to and uh, all those things came together at the same time, and we basically decided in one week to start a winery. Before this, Emil worked in insurance, and Sydney worked in software and nuclear engineering. But they had always been students of wine and the romantic lifestyle. Emil took us down memory lane, sharing stories of hosting musicians and artists and dancers for dinners at their house before moving to Arizona. Emil and Cindy would travel to Europe at any chance they could for food and wine tours. Almost as soon as they moved to Northern Arizona, Emil enrolled in the Southwest Wine Center at Yavapai College. The Southwest Wine Center is one of the best resources for wine education and research in the region. And some would say it's even a direct cause of Arizona becoming a successful wine industry as many local winemakers came through their programs. Because they are just starting out, the Cove Mesa Tasting Room is in a modest spot. It's a little industrial park with warehouses just outside the Cottonwood Airport. The metal garage doors are rolled up, showcasing cases and cases of wine in one room, and huge metal vats and layers of wine barrels in another. Emil takes me into the room with the wine barrels and the metal containers to meet his winemaker, Justin Estes. This room has an industrial fan to keep everything nice and cool. When we met, 
It was Justin's seventh week at Cove Mesa. And even though he's young, he's had tremendous amount of experience in uh, making wine in Sonoma. He has 15 years experience making wine. And when he was looking to leave California, Justin said that Arizona was number one on his list. But what exactly does a winemaker do? We're past the days of stomping grapes, I love Lucy style, and it's really down to a science for a lot of the wineries. What do you do as a winemaker? Taste wine. That's honestly the best way to learn. And, you know, uh, that's kind of our most important job is to make the best tasting wine possible. So doing a lot of trials, analysis in the lab, working with different blends, and then a lot of physical labor, too, during, during harvest, when all that fruit is being harvested. You only get one shot a year to make wine. This is when Emil jumped in and joked that most of what Justin does is cleaning up after the mess it takes to make wine. You know, winemaking is 80% uh, cleaning, 10% lifting heavy stuff, and then 10% drinking beer at the end of the day. So, <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, wine in California tastes differently than in Arizona. But Justin told me that making wine in Arizona is different as well. The soils are very different here, and I'm finding out the pHs are much higher in the wines here due to the, you know, the soils and, and growing climate. So when your pHs are high like that, you're much more susceptible to things going wrong in the wine. So you got to be a little bit more on it in particular with keeping, you know, oxygen out of your wine, keeping your SO2s high, and keeping your acids in place as well. So Would it mean that Arizona winemakers are more... Like attention to detail? Absolutely. It's uh, Anybody can make wine in California. <laughs> it's pretty easy. They obviously have great weather there for it, perfect growing conditions for growing grapes. You know, I always say there's, there's, there's good and great vintages in California, but uh, it's going to be nice having a little bit more of a challenge here and using my brain a little bit more. Both Justin and Emil spent about an hour explaining to me a lot of the science that goes into wine. Their terroir is different here. But specifically, the dirt is different here. Because of Arizona's lack of precipitation compared to Northern California, Oregon, and Washington, what you're planting the grapes in is incomparable. Here's Emil. Our vineyards that we have here, we have 11,400 vines here in Cornville, and they're all planted in limestone. And uh, it's going to take uh, quite a few years to really get them established. It's hard for the roots to grow. There's uh, very little in the way of nourishment, uh, a lot of minerals, but not a lot of uh, organic nutrients that the vines need to grow and, and uh, prosper. But eventually, we'll have spectacular fruit from those, those vines. But this isn't discouraging to him. I think when the grape vines have to really struggle to survive, they spend a lot more time putting energy into the grapes instead of into the foliage and, and, uh, and other activity. Because a lot of the wine in Arizona is grown at high altitudes, the vines can fall victim to frost at night or be destroyed in dangerous rainstorms. And of course, the drought. The whole state has suffered from that. I think in 2020, the yield was down maybe 40% across the board just because of drought and heat. In 21, uh, there were a lot of problems. One of the things that we deal with here, uh, Justin mentioned how we, our pHs are really high here. We have some issues because a lot of times the fruit gets ripe when it's still 110 degrees out. And uh, also, it can be significantly uh, affected by monsoons. Last year, 
it looked like we were going to have a pretty good uh, harvest. And uh, I, I know down in uh, Wilcox and Sonoida, there was a lot of hail damage early in the year, uh, which caused significant damage. And there was frost damage early in the year. But then everything seemed to kind of uh, right itself. And uh, just as we were getting ready to start harvesting fruit in uh, Wilcox, I think they got four inches of rain in one day. And uh, it just devastated the harvest. Uh, all the grapes swell up with water, the sugar levels and everything are all screwed up. And uh, because it's at a time when the grapes are full of sugar, uh, all that moisture then causes rot to, to develop. And so we had to deal a lot with that vineyards had to cut a lot of fruit off. And so they, again, for the second straight year, the, the yield was way down because of, uh, of that issue. So anyway, every year you have to deal with whatever the weather gives you. Another key feature that sets Arizona wine apart in both of their opinions comes down to the winemaking style. Let's go back to our comparison with California. Around the 1980s, California became known as a region that had adopted modern winemaking styles. This includes more technological intervention and creates a more uniform flavor. This is so when you go to a grocery store and pick out your favorite Napa Chardonnay, you know what it's going to taste like. This style puts an emphasis on oaky and buttery flavors and can sometimes even result in higher alcohol percentages. Now, California isn't the only place making wine with a modern style. It is very popular across the world. But Emil says that it was important to him to have Cove Mesa reflect traditional winemaking styles. This allows the wine to be more reflective of the terroir and have a higher chance of changing year to year. People have preconceived ideas about what wine is supposed to be. They're going to do that come hell or high water, no matter what the fruit gives them. They're going to go blindly ahead uh, trying to make something that's inappropriate. And uh, we're going to work really hard not to do that. So what did Cove Mesa make that caught the eye of 20 Arizona wine experts? Not only was it shocking that this freshman winery won the Governor's Cup, which is the grand prize, but they also won with a variety that isn't commonly grown in Arizona. They won with a Merlot. Oh, that's a good sound, isn't it? It pours into the glass as a medium-bodied red. Holding it up to the light, the color could be described as garnet. When I asked Emil to describe to me what it tastes like, he first reads from the winery's tasting notes. This lighter example of Merlot hits with bright red cherry right up front. Mild aromas of forest floor are followed by savory aromas of cedar and herb de Provence. The cherry continues dominantly on the palate with a heavy dose of acidity and minerality. Cigar box characters round out the palate. But he speaks more from the heart once he's done. So cigar box has that uh, tobacco aromas. Get a little bit of that. It's a very complex wine, even though it's not a heavy wine. It's, it has wonderful flavors, very balanced, which to me is a, a big deal. I, I do not like wines that, that don't have good balance. So when I, when I say balance, it's a, a balance between the acidity and the uh, fruit flavors. It hits all of your taste buds in your upper palate, mid palate, in the finish. Uh, I mean, all the way through, 
it's seamless. You know, it hits all the taste buds and it lingers for a long time. The finish is very long. It's impressive enough that Cove Mesa was held in the highest regard right out of the gate. But it's even more impressive to win with a grape that isn't commonly grown here. No other Merlots placed at the competition. But even more remarkable is that almost every variety that Amel submitted was awarded. Merlot took the Governor's Cup for Best in Show and the Grower's Cup for Best Red. Their Malvasia Bianca and Vermentino white wines won silver. Their Cabernet, Peak Pool Blanc, and Sangiovese all won bronze. Richard, back at the Republic, let me know that it's not easy to win, let alone right away. But more importantly to him, it shows how the whole industry has improved. It's hard to win the contest, but I also look at each wine is individually scored by the judges, and they can give, you know, gold medals, silver medals, bronze. And it's also just a measure of the quality of the wine. And the quality of Arizona's wine across the board has just dramatically increased in the years I've been doing this contest. Shana credits this to Arizona still being a young wine region that has done a lot of growing in the past decade. There's a lot of young vines. And so as vines get older, the fruit profile is going to change quite a bit. So, I mean, you're also kind of dealing with the material that you're using and the vines that you're working with. You know, they're they're children right now. Like they're still going into like teenagehood, like adulthood, you know, so they're changing, constantly growing themselves. And so their personalities are going to change as well, which is going to translate into the glass. Luckily for locals, the wineries in Arizona are very easy to access. Cove Mesa is just about an hour and a half drive north of Phoenix in the Verde Valley, and the two more established AVAs, Wilcox and Sonoida, are just over two hours south. Both are very easy weekend getaways with a lot to offer. And who knows, you may just find your new favorite bottle of wine to give to a friend. Or to keep for yourself. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Valley 101. If you have any questions about Metro Phoenix, please submit them to our podcast by visiting valley101.azcentral.com. If you're a fan of the show, please share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also support it by subscribing to azcentral.com. You can follow all AZ Central podcasts like Valley 101, The Gaggle, and The Lab on Twitter at AZC Podcasts. I'm producer Amanda Luberto. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.